Well, hello everyone, Jim White here. Well, in today's episode, I have an interview with Lindsay Bacardo. Now, Lindsay, she's a speaker and a coach, and she actually started her coaching practice working with what she calls high achievers, or young high achievers. And what she was doing, she would help them with their career. She coached them on their career path and, and making a plan for their career. Well, as a result of that, she has developed a very unique understanding of these younger generations. And in this interview, she shares some thoughts about Gen Z, which is where your teenager is. Your teenager is a part of Gen Z. So she shares some, again, some of her insights on their perspective of the world and how their life experience is different than ours. And we also, we talk some about anxiety, teenage anxiety, social media, and the speed of communication. So, and, and also at the very end, you'll want to be sure to stick around because I did ask her this uh, last question. I said, you know, given your appreciation or understanding of the Gen Z, what uh, would be one piece of advice you'd give to a parent with a teenager? And she shares a very thoughtful and insightful answer for that as well. So be sure to check, uh, stick around for that. So let's get started. Well, Lindsay, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jim. I'm Absolutely. excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited as well. This is going to be an interesting perspective for our parents because I know you work primarily in the corporate world. So yes. anyway, give us a little bit of background as to who you are and how you got to this stage in your life. Yeah, um, I moved, I'm from upstate New York, actually. You'll probably hear my accent kind of poke through, but I moved to Indiana by way of two things, music and missions work. And I did that. That was my first job here in the state of Indiana. And I loved it. I did it for a season. And one thing I noticed, I'm a drummer by trade. That's my one of my favorite things to do. One thing I noticed when I would play these shows is, you know, a lot of people want to talk before and after a show. And I realized I still love music. I love hitting things. <laughs> but what I really love is talking to people before and after the shows. And so um, after a season of touring, about five years on the road, touring out of Indianapolis across the country, I decided to go back to school and study people, study how people function. My background was in psychology. I went back to school for professional coaching. This was about a decade ago now. So you can imagine in the professional coaching space, you know, most people doing that, that's kind of their second or third career and their in their mid to late career at this point, I am the youngest person at this coaching school right. by a, at least a decade. I walked in, you ever have a moment where you're like, one of these is not like the other and it's me. Yeah, exactly. And I remember looking around thinking, what am I doing here? And got this kind of heavy feeling like, I don't think I really am supposed to be here. And I don't really work through, look, I'm young and I'm learning these coaching skills. What is the opportunity for me? Instead of feeling like I'm underqualified and too young, maybe I have an interesting angle to go into the market. And that's exactly what I did. So when I graduated from coaching school, I built a coaching curriculum for millennials coming out of college. Most people take their executive, um, you know, executive experience and executive training as a coach and they go and work with CEOs and people in the C-suite and I did the opposite. I took all of that information and brought it to the youngest population at work at the time, which was millennials. I built a bunch of clients from there and was working with them through career pathing at the time. And you can imagine this is like 2010, 2012, oh, 13, yeah. 14, 15, that chunk of time, it was hard to kind of navigate, still it is hard to navigate your career. And I really found that work fulfilling 
their leaders started to come to me and said, help us understand this generation. You're obviously coaching them. They're more productive. They're more, um, they're doing meaningful work here for us. Tell us the secret. So I found myself inside of boardrooms. I found myself sitting in front of CEOs and leaders of businesses, helping to decode what millennials were looking for at work. And so I sit here with you today, um, 10 years into that part of my career. I started in 2013. And with a lot of experience under my belt, not just coaching young folks, but understanding why older generations get frustrated, are confused, and kind of somewhat those differences of perspective are between generations. Right. That's really fascinating. So you're kind of the voice of that younger generation mm -hmm. to the senior management, if you will, in a corporation then. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Just to clarify... Because to be honest, I'm not sure if I'm 100% sure. You say millennial. What are, yep. what are the ages? And I know there's a two or three generational labels in there. Could you maybe hit on those real quick just to clarify? Yeah. So generations are typically you talk about them by birth date. You don't talk about them by age. But you can imagine the reason that we do that is because we're sociologists. People that are studying generations look at, hey, when this person was born, what was going on in their world and society at the time. That's why we even use the concept of generations to begin with. And so it gets tricky because oftentimes people will say, well, young people are millennials and older people are boomers, but it's not quite that clean cut. And if you start to look at um, research around who's saying generational ages, who's labeling these times, it all depends on who you're looking at too. Are you looking at the U.S. Census Bureau, are you where are you looking for this information? Because depending on where you look, those birth dates and the way that research was done was different. So I just always say that first because I think people get a little bit confused about what it means to be right. in a certain generation. So think about boomers were born 46 to 64. I'm using U.S. Census Bureau um, right. dates, by the way. Boomers are 46 to 64. What's going on in the country at the time? We just got through World War II. There's a big birth rate boom. That's why they're called boomers. So their experience growing up was they were kind of the, there was twice as many of them as we expected. They're everywhere. They're sharing school <laughs> desks. They, they know that they have a lot of power by sheer numbers. So you've got boomers. The next generation after them are Gen Xers, 65 to 80. There's a lot happening at that time in U.S. history, particularly too. I won't go into all the details, but think about 65 to 80. If you're a Gen Xer, you knew you know the stories that you were growing up with, what was happening in the world um, in a very close to home way. It was the first time that both a mom and dad were likely working full time and out of the house, but we didn't have daycare yet. That wasn't right. really an institution yet. And so you've got these Gen Xers growing up, what we call now latchkey kids latch keys, growing up right. and kind of take yeah. care of themselves. The next generation of that are millennials. That's my generation. And typically that's early 80s, in this case, 81 to 96. Millennials are born during a major tech revolution. It was happening before they were born, but certainly if you're a millennial, you remember life with a landline phone and a actual physical tape that recorded voicemails <laughs> right. and voice recordings. I don't remember what we called them back then that you would play, listen to, and rewind yeah. and re-record over. That was a real time all the way to what we have today, cell phones in our pockets that can do everything for us. So millennials are what we tend to call the first digital natives. 
they were born into this, they understand uh, the digital world, and they kind of live with one foot in kind of a Gen X mindset, you know, the, the kind of older generational mindset of, I know how to, I remember the phone book and the Dewey Decimal System, but also a foot in the new world where they're buying, you know, digital art and using Bitcoin and things like that. The youngest generation right now at work are Gen Zs. They were born 97 to 2012. So basically the inception of the internet used widely was 1995, 1996 in that little spot. So that was an easy break for researchers to say, hold on, let's get to the next generation. Let's, we need to start a new generation because the internet literally changed the way that we do everything, even how we're recording this right now. And so Gen Zs aren't just digital natives. They weren't just born that way. They've always known a world where they can solve pretty much any problem on their phone. And that is a different way to think about engaging the world, both commercially, both in their personal life, at school, in their future businesses and organizations. And so can you imagine you put all these generations in the same room to solve a problem, typically in business, that's where I sit, uh, they're going to have very different perspectives to begin with. They're going to have different understandings of the problem and certainly different ways to solve it. And I can share tons of examples of that. But when you think about that and apply that to family life, holy smokes. There's a lot right. to talk about here. A lot to talk about, which and mostly, you know, I work a lot with parents with teenagers. So they're going to be yes. that Gen, Gen Z. Z is where yep. most of those teenagers are going to be in that in that group, or obviously they're in that group. So which you started to allude to it, the difference in perspective or just how their life experience is different than their parents. And yes. I think it's important for the parents to have some sense of that. Because, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I always sort of remind parents to be careful of is to say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through when something happens for their teenager, because it's assumption, you know, well, I broke up with my boyfriend back in high school. So they're assuming it's the same as it was that their child may be experiencing, but obviously it's much different. So maybe talk about the differences in perspective and just experiences that that, that Gen Z would feel versus what their parent might've experienced. That's a perfect example, Jim. Perfect, because we grew, these generations represent um, different stages of the tech evolution. Just if you just sit in that one spot, think about uh, when my parents broke up with the person they were going steady with, it happened behind the school, between the two of them, and they moved on and words spread throughout the day. When I broke up with my high school boyfriend, it was on AOL Instant Messenger. Okay, so I wasn't even... Immediate, it's not even in person. Right. Oh, and they broke up over the messenger. Yeah, they broke up and then everybody knows about it within right. before I get to school the next day. Right. Now Gen Z's have that on steroids. And this is part of the issue that I'm sure that you talk about is the the development of a teenage brain, just teenage brain. It doesn't matter if you were a teenager in 1950 or you were a teenager today, there's a biological development that is happening in your teen where you don't have full executive functioning. And so the process of communication, how your behavior impacts other people, empathy, understanding how to plan and think through everything from a breakup to a school project, they don't have the neurological wiring to even handle some of this yet. Just like we did in the 50s, the gift of the 50s was that that conversation moved slowly and they had a little more breathing room. Now it's almost like everything you do, you're creating a press release for it uh, right. while it's happening in real time. 
and you don't have full brain access and neurological access yet. And you've got the power of social media. Social media is different than any media ever before because I can talk to anybody and anybody can talk back to me. In print or newspaper, that newspaper ends up on my front you know, porch. I might love to read it, but I don't get to speak directly to the editor that day. Right. And we're in this viral, very fast paced communication and the speed of communication is outpassing their development, what they can really manage and handle at the time. And so when a parent says, I know what it's like to break up with my boyfriend, you on some just human to human, the sadness of that disconnection, sure, but the fallout and the social fallout is completely, it's like pouring you know, gasoline on a fire and trying to manage your own PR every day. It's very difficult to do. Right. And that ramps up, and, and one of the things I connect that to is it ramps up anxiety. You know, we hear a lot about 100%. This, this Gen Z and their, the teenagers, they're just experiencing a lot more anxiety. Yes. And it's it seems to me like a lot of that's connected to social media and just the impact of social media. So I'd be curious as to your perspective on the, the anxiety component. I mean, there's no doubt. I think it was last month, um, the research was has been clearly shown that there is a correlation between the sheer amount of time you spend on social media and your self-reported levels of anxiety and depression. There is a connection and I would be very mindful. And you know, these social media companies understand this. Even TikTok, if you're on TikTok too long, a video will come up and say, hey, is it time to take a break from scrolling? We know this to be true. This isn't just, oh, I don't know. This new technology isn't good for you. It's not. I actually think technology can be very helpful for humanity. And part of what you experience when you go through social media is that let's take TikTok for an example, because it's the most commonly used. Every video you see gives you a tiny shot of dopamine and every video, because it's novel, is giving you a whole different shift. So if you look through my TikTok feed, one minute it's rescuing a dog trapped in a river. The next minute it's a funny dance. The next minute it's a recipe for gluten-free banana bread. Right. That amount of shifting and attention shifting in my brain gives me shots of dopamine through the day. If you have a lot of dopamine shots and then you take the dopamine source away, your body is trying to rebalance. And what is it finding? And what are you feeling? you're going to feel anxious and depressed. And so there really is, and I'm not a specialist in this. This is really just because I have an 18 year old and I'm a coach and I understand some levels of neurobiology. There is a need to be very mindful of how we use social media and to not let it unconsciously rule our biology. Yeah. And I think the other big thing that I've you know, connected with is the idea of, of was it upward social comparison? You know, you of get on there, you get on there and you see everybody. You know, that awesome prom proposal that somebody got and you haven't been asked yet. I mean, just all of those comparisons create that anxiety as well. It it causes that teen to feel left out or not good enough, which is a source of anxiety as well. Um, I'm curious, sure. you you find you coach some of the kid when you work with the younger generation, whether it's mm -hmm. career coaching or whatever, do you end up sort of spilling into talking about their social media and how they use it and if it's getting in the way and how it can, can serve them versus how it can damage their process? A hundred percent. It's so not what, even like a separate. Like? 
it's not even a separate conversation. It's, it's just literally part of a conversation every day. You know, when a client, um, breaks up with their significant other and they're saying, this is causing me a lot of stress. The reasons we broke up are private. People are starting to ask me questions. I'm getting DMs. That's a real, that really does happen. And so there's right. this nosiness too, that it's not just the biology of social media. It's like you're talking, you're alluding more to the interpersonal dynamics that are created when there are known entities of your, you know, your friends, avatars in these places as well. Their representation right. is there. And so absolutely, it's not even a separate like, okay, this is how you feel about this. Now, how do you feel about it on social media? It's all interwoven. It's all, it's an innate part of how they communicate and how they spend their time and how they relate to other people. So absolutely, even on the job front, I mean, a decade ago, we were warning, do you remember when we were warning young bucks to not put pictures of themselves right. with alcohol on yep. social media or anything that could be compromising to just be really mindful um, that's still, sure, that's definitely still part of the conversation, but even bigger than that, know that companies, the way that company, people that are leaders in any organization are also being watched by Gen Zs to see how they behave. Oh, so this all cuts both ways. You, I have asked people to, I have secret shoppers who will um, fake apply to a company. Like, hey, if you were applying for this job, tell me how you would go about doing that. And they'll say, well, I would find out who was interviewing me, who the leader of that group is. I would go, go look. Yep, I'd go check out their Twitter. I would see what they stand for. I would see what they're speaking about. I would go to their Facebook and see if how um, difficult they behave on Facebook because a lot of people are problematic on Facebook. And they're going to figure out your digital footprint before they ever meet you in person. And so they understand, the next Gen Zs understand this intuitively that that cuts both ways. It's more their own social, emotional self-awareness where they may not connect all of those dots, but they know that technology is setting them up and social media is setting them up to have a public perception and persona. Which raises an interesting question that just popped up as well is from a parent-child relationship, that child is watching their parent on social media. Um, like, and I know yeah. in, in our, fa our family, for example, um, and my wife is pretty good about if, if we have a family picture, she asked our child, are you okay if I post this? Yes. And because there's that permission, because the child may not want it to be posted. That's and, right. And, and the children are watching their parents too, and maybe noticing incongruencies, if you will. I mean, the way that the parent asks and with the image that they're presenting. So it, what, if, I don't know, what insights or thoughts do you have around that whole dynamic? I mean, that is a key into somebody's self-awareness, isn't it? Right. If they were just screaming at you in the kitchen and then they're like, we had such a great time on our spring break. And you're like, mom, you were literally just screaming at me. Um, <clears throat> I think social media is very revealing in that way. And I think in the next five years, there will be laws regarding posting minors on your account. Interesting. And yeah. <clears throat> what that will look like not because of the everyday holiday picture and the fireplace, but because so many parents are making significant, I'm talking millions of dollars on their children's behavior that's being recorded and posted to YouTube and TikTok. And there really is a, a movement around the ethics of, of using that. youth 
minors, yes, because they're not, they cannot give full consent and you're using them to make money similar to the laws around child um, actors. They think that there will be laws coming down around that. And I think it's really important. I've noticed this with my 18 year old is that there really does need to be consent. If I'm gonna post a picture of her anywhere, I'm going to ask her, are you cool with me posting this? One time I didn't and it didn't feel good to her. It felt like a violation and that's completely fair because right. for her, it's like, this is the most public part about mm -hmm. me. Please ask consent basically before doing that. I think it shows respect and it shows respect for each child's own social norms around uh, this topic of social media. You know, it's interesting because I, I point out to parents that if you do that, you ask the child, you're mm -hmm. modeling that behavior, which then the teenager is going to be more likely to ask their friend or, you know, if they take a picture, it, it sort of models that getting permission. Because, again, a lot of times in social media, it's posting that picture that the person, you know, the, the other 16 year old doesn't want posted is where That's a lot right. of conflict can come up. And so you can model that behavior for your teenager as well. Um, That's exactly which is right. Awesome. So yeah. What what other any other advice for parents? You know, thinking you're a parent too, but you also yeah. just from yep. what you've learned in working with businesses around social media and just the way they engage or communicate, maybe communicate with their teenagers. I mean, I think in general, human nature, when new technology comes out, our natural bent is to be afraid of it and to not want it in our homes. Listen, when the radio came out, the American Psychiatric Association made a statement, it posted a statement that said, this is the first piece of technology that will bring messages into a home without the parents like first agreeing to it. Things are gonna Screaming. come through that you're, yes, right. exactly. And now we have that on a whole, a whole exponential <laughs> level. Right. And my encouragement to parents would be, um, sense when you're having judgment around a social media or a social media interaction and hold space for your judgment. I understand. And if you can, to the degree that you can stay curious and take a deep breath and understand that for kids, this is how they navigate the most meaningful thing. And we both know the most meaningful thing to humans is our relationships. If you want to destroy somebody, destroy their relationship more than money, more than anything else. Relationships are what fuel our hearts and keep us going. And social media puts our relationships, especially for teens, on a tight wire. And it's a lot that they're trying to navigate. And Gen Xers tend to be the parents of Gen Zs. And Gen Xers did not have this growing up. So it's like your kids um, you know, took the Oregon Trail by themselves across <laughs> into the wilderness and we're like well gee gee golly my kid got bit by a snake and the well, snake's not a big deal and the kid is like it's a rattlesnake and we're like man don't worry about it you'll be fine shake it off there is danger and difficulty in social media that we really cannot comprehend from a teenager's perspective because we did not grow up through it like they did and so to stay curious and understand there's going to be things your kids tell you where it's like, they didn't tag me in this photo. I can't believe that. That's such a, that's so rude. And you're like, they probably forgot, relax. It's a photo. Well, for them, it's the end that of the was world. a purposeful, that was a purposeful social slight right. in their world. That was purposeful. 
and understanding, well, it felt purposeful to me. And it was, I know Sarah would only do that because blah, blah, blah. And instead of saying, it's not that big of a deal, honey, relax, say, oh, that felt like a social slight to you. Don't get caught in the content and the semantics of what they're saying. Understand the experience they're having. Haven't you ever been socially slighted? Right. Go there. Don't worry about how it appears. You will never understand the translation, but understand how it's impacting your kid. That's the moment to move in, to show compassion, understanding for the human experience. And that's the piece that I think parents get confused on because they get so annoyed. Like, who cares? It's TikTok. Right. Who cares? Or you got blocked or you were left on red. Is this really that big of a deal? Oh my gosh. Well, for them, those are, you've got to understand those are big social cues for them. They mean something that you and I cannot truly comprehend right. and to understand how it's impacting them under the surface. That's where the gold is. That's where connection and relationship can be built. Yeah, it's that uh, not tagging them is no different than when I went to school, went to the lunchroom and my friends sat at a different table, right? It's, Brilliant, it's, exactly. You know, it was, we felt that slight at that point. Um, you got it. You know, you know, that tag is the same to them and that's the key. And it's interesting, you mentioned, um, you know, part of what I try to encourage and try to work with parents is on coaching skills. You know, we both do coaching and yep. the idea of acknowledge and validation. You know, those are That's some right. coaching skills. And at that moment, it's just acknowledge what they're going through. Or on the flip side, it's it's not dismissing the feeling, right? Not dismissing what they're experiencing, acknowledging, and then creating some validation for it. And that's that can go a long way. That's ex You get it. And you know this as a coach, Jim, we always talk about like, don't get too caught up in the content of right. what somebody's saying. It's how they feel about the content. That's the struggle. Right. Not right. the content itself. And if we go to try to solve the content problem, we miss the human connection piece. And most people, once they feel heard and understood, are pretty resourceful and can come to a solution that will work for them. Yeah. Yeah. And the other point, I think, too, and you kind of alluded to it, is that I think you started to go there was the idea that the social media in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just responsible. You say, okay, I, and actually, I draw the analogy to like driving a car. I mean, a car, yep. a car by itself is not a bad thing and it can be super helpful, but if a teenager uses it irresponsibly, it becomes very dangerous. And so you it's the it. same thing with social media. It's how do I empower them to be responsible? Because at some point they're going to be off at college or off as an adult and they need to be able to self-manage at that point. And so as when they're younger is when we can start to build those skills um, and hopefully get them there. So I'm sure you've seen some you know, 20, 22, 23, 24 year olds that really have issues with social media, which maybe, I don't yes. know, I've heard a lot of talk around addiction and I'd be curious, you know, what did you see yeah. in research and what have you on the, the idea of being addicted to social media? Well, my understanding of addiction is that it's any behavior that's detrimental to your quality of life. So you could be addicted to working out. You could be addicted right. to, it doesn't, I think addiction, we tend to think like it's, she's talking about meth and cocaine, you know, we <laughs> right. kind of, but it's really any maladaptive behavior that we're using um, in a way to help us cope with something in our world that we're using that actually ends up taking from us. It's sneaky sneaks. It's something that we think is going to give us life and it actually takes. And that could be a lot of things. And so I try to really open the conversation around addictive behavior versus if a substance or a person or a, you know, social media can be addictive. It's, is my behavior at a point where this 
social media is taking away from the quality of my life. And I would venture to say, Jim, if we surveyed anybody that has contact with social media, they have had seasons where they were so far in living this digital world that they were, they were losing opportunities to connect with people and build relationships that would serve them. Right. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of us do have addictive behavior. You know how many times I probably look at my phone, Jim, and I don't even know that I just looked at it. You know how many dopamine (laughs) hits I go for throughout the day. Um, I have five minutes. I'm going to jump on TikTok. And, you know, I think that there is behaviors that don't serve our greater good. And it's kind of, you know, you think about how important human connection is and storytelling, and then you pair that with endless amounts. It sounds a lot like, you know, what cocaine is, is a, a cocoa leaf that's been ground down and right. made it's into a powder. Of, so you can have 50 a leaves rush. at once. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've had the same conversation around energy drinks as a cup of coffee. You know, is right. it really an addiction? No, but if I'm drinking three energy drinks a day, taking in 600 milligrams of caffeine, I put myself into a precarious situation. That's not good for my heart. It's not good for my blood pressure. I put social media in that a similar container. What do you think about it? Do you think that people can be addicted? To yeah, social well, media? I would go to the same place. It's a matter of how it's affected. It can be destructive, right? It can affect mm-hmm. relationships. It can affect your health. It can affect your sleep habits. I mean, all of, and that's sort of the, you know, whether it's a drug or social media or, you know, whatever it might be, um, that's a point that it's, it's not serving you at that point. And that's the kind of the direction I would go is how can, how can, how can that social media serve you and empower you to have yeah. a rich, a richer life, which it can in a lot of ways, because it's a way for you to connect and learn things from all over the world that we never used to be able to do but it should be in service of you having a fulfilling and purposeful life. I mean, that's the goal. And it's a matter of creating some awareness of, okay, is this taking me a different direction? Um, You know, is it it hurting me? So, um, and yeah, so it's, it's, that's where I would try to encourage parents to focus on and try to, because I like to take that positive look, you know, how can I look at social media and my teenagers use and how and, and have the conversation with the teen how can we use this to serve you and, and empower yeah. you and and have you move forward and just recognize when it's not so that's it yes yeah, yeah. well i know we're that's running it. a little little tight on time what one last if you had one piece of advice and you're a parent as well but then all the work you do with executives is there any mm-hmm. one thing that it's like an insight that you, maybe you've had that you thought oh that's really helpful kind of a thing. I think when dealing with our kids and when dealing with different generations, whether they are younger or older than you, there's a few steps that you can take to slow down and create connection instead of conflict. And the first piece is just to recognize that you have a perception in this moment. And whether it's because you have a nurse coming in who, um, is 90 years old and you assume that she can't do her job, that's a bias, that's a perception, or you've got a 16 year old checking you out at Kroger and you're thinking they can't count change. Oh God, these kids (laughs) these days, the world's falling apart. That's a perception and a bias. Recognize that that is your story. It's not necessarily, you don't actually know this person that you have this bias around. And even our kids, we don't really know all the layers to our kids. And so I try to really, and even for my, mostly for myself to recognize perception to slow down and own it, that that is my story. 
and to choose in that moment whether I will be curious and shift into curiosity or continue to judge and drill farther into what I think is true. And we, we have that moment as parents over a dozen times, even between just over dinner, you know? Right. And if we can, it takes a lot to choose curiosity. It takes patience. It means we have left enough bandwidth for our kids and enough patience for our kids at the end of our long work day to make space for them. And I know for me, I've had to change the way that I work so that I have that emotional bandwidth at the end of the day to still be curious. When we get tired, y'all, we start making cognitive shortcuts and we just don't have time. We don't have the energy to be paused and be patient. And so my encouragement is, you know, for us to, if you're managing other generations, if you have kiddos, is to leave enough space to still be curious at the end of the day. Leave yourself, your emotional battery, make sure you've got some left. Take something off your plate that's draining you so that you can choose curiosity and connection in the moments that matter the most. Awesome advice. I appreciate it. Just real quick, in case somebody wants to connect with you, how do they, how do they find yeah. you? I just, you can just Google my name. It's um, Lindsay Bacardo, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Bacardo is B-O-C-C-A-R-D-O. That's also my website. It's just my name, lindsaybocardo.com. But if you Google me, you can find me on whatever platform you like to use the most. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking the time and sharing your insights. This has been uh, super, super fun for me. I always enjoy talking to people that uh, have that window into that younger generation. I'm so glad we got this time together, Jim. Thanks for asking me to be on this with you. Absolutely. Well, that was some great information, wouldn't you agree? I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments as well. So be sure to share any insights in the, in the comments below. Now, before we sign off today, though, I did want to let you know that I have a free resource for you today. A lot of times parents will say to me, they just can't get their teenagers to open up and talk. Well, the answer is to ask better questions. And so what I have is I have these 10 questions you should never ask your teenager. Think of these as like conversation killers. And then I also have these 10 great questions. These are the conversation starters. And again, it's a free resource that you can download at our website. The website's familyenrichmentacademy.com. So be sure to check that out. Well, as always, it's truly an honor to be able to serve and support you as you move along your parenting journey. And it truly is a journey. I just want to acknowledge you again for your growth mindset. I mean, having that growth mindset is just going to be critical to getting through these teenage years. Well, until next time, remember, a change in perspective changes everything.